Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be going back into our series uh, called The Word. Uh, and that's a series that we've been looking at in the book of John uh, before we came to Easter. The last two weeks we've been looking at Easter, Palm Sunday, the resurrection, and what that means for us. Uh, but today we're going to get back into John chapter 1. Uh, it'll be our third sermon in this series. The first one, we kind of looked at the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the Word and how John starts off his gospel with just this declaration of Jesus uh, as God. We got into the second week uh, and how Jesus would uh, be transformative uh, for humankind and even that declaration of how he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and that's the equipping for the church. Uh, and so if you're looking for those messages, uh, they're online. You go back a couple of weeks uh, and check those things out. Uh, today we're going to be picking up that testimony of John um, right after that declaration of Jesus baptizing in the Spirit, right after Jesus' baptism, uh, by getting into verse 35. Uh, but before we get into that, let's pray. And Father, we come before you this morning uh, and we are thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful that it's alive and it's active and it works within us and that you work within us to transform us for your purposes. Uh, Father, I'm grateful for this church, uh, and by that I mean the people. To be able to minister to one another, to worship together, to be able to uh, minister to the community, to uh, minister to a business and, and the relationship uh, that we're developing with a few people there. Uh, Lord, we pray that you reach them with the gospel. That as we participate within things of the city, that we carry that light of the gospel with us. And we're not there just simply to run or simply to volunteer, um, but to reflect that light and to, to be an open door, to plant seeds, to water, uh, to pray when those opportunities arise. And we ask for more of those things uh, as well. We pray that you would lead our church uh, in the things that we should engage with uh, and the things that we should not be distracted by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 1, verse 35. Uh, again, this is the day after Jesus was baptized. Uh, and it says the next day, uh, or right after the, uh, the day he was baptized, John was standing with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So, so again, just to kind of refresh what had happened, the, the day before, uh, Jesus had come by and walked up to John, uh, not John who wrote this gospel, but John the baptizer, uh, and said, would you baptize me? And, and that John's like, I, I'm unfit to tie your sandals. Like, why should I? You should be baptizing me. Uh, and Jesus said, well, this is to fulfill Scripture. Uh, and so John baptizes him, and, and then there's this whole scene as Jesus is coming out of the waters, the, the heavens open up, there's a voice that says, this is my son, uh, whom with I am well pleased, uh, and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove is descending down upon Jesus. Uh, and, and so this is this miraculous scene that happened the day before. Uh, and so here's John going back to his business of baptizing people. Uh, and then Jesus is walking by, uh, and, and John just can't help but say, Look, there he goes! It's the Lamb of God. Verse 37 says uh, that two disciples that were there heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
And so here's this whole picture. You, you got the Jordan River right there, and John the Baptizer, who's dressed in camel hair and would eat locusts, uh, he sees Jesus walking by. He's like, there he goes, the Lamb of God. And, and two of John's disciples are like, all right, see ya. <laughs> and they just start following after Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he said, what are you looking for? You know, so he's just on a stroll. John points him out. All of a sudden he turns around and there's two guys following him like, all right, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're going to do, but we're following you. And so Jesus turns around and says, what are you looking for? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. And so immediately it's a declaration of, of them submitting to his discipleship. And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, is not like, okay, creepy people. Like, like, he doesn't know these two guys. You know, he's out for a stroll. There's two guys following him, and he turns around, and they're like, um, what are you looking for? Where are you staying? Like, if that happened to any one of us, you know, we would be out of there. But Jesus in this situation says, come, and you'll see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who hurt John uh, and followed him. And he first found out his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So, so Christ is not Jesus' last name, uh, but rather it's a title meaning Messiah, the promised one, uh, the Savior. And so he brought Simon to Jesus and then when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So again, here we have this situation where, where one of these two guys that was with John the baptizer sees Jesus walks by. Here's John say, there's the Lamb of God. He chooses to follow him. He goes, gets his brother, and says, come on, let's, let's check this guy out. We're going to follow him. He is the Messiah. And so now you have uh, Simon coming with his brother Andrew, and Jesus sees him. Not introduced. Andrew's not like, Jesus, this is my brother Simon. Simon, this is Jesus. But rather, when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, but I'm changing your name. It's, Jonah's in a different gospel. So in a different one, it'll say Jonah. In this one, it says John. Uh, both of them are going to be a similar name. Uh, but in different gospels um, of the synoptic gospels, that name is translated sometimes as Jonah. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. And sometimes as John. Uh, but it's the same person, same father. Uh, and in that, uh, Jesus sees him and says, okay, this is your name. I'm changing it. I think it's absolutely remarkable in this. Again, he wasn't introduced, but Jesus knew him and knew his father's name. But he also knew Peter's character and his purpose. That's why he changed his name. So he's up there and he's like, you're going to be called Peter now. And we can see this happen later on. And part of the fulfillment of this in Matthew chapter 16 
uh, when Jesus was with his disciples, uh, and then he's like, well, who do you say that I am? You know, all these other people are saying, like, I'm this prophet, I'm that prophet. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers by saying, you are the Messiah, the Son of, of the living God. Jesus responded by saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, again, that Jonah and John, uh, the same. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter. So this is the name that Jesus gave to him. You are Peter. Within the Greek, it's Petros. And on this rock, or this rock, this declaration of Jesus being the Savior, but the word rock in Greek is Petra. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And so now here Jesus is having this play on words with the name of Peter, Petros, and Rock, Petra, and talking about on this rock, the establishment of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the church will be built, and the gates of hell will not be able to overpower it. Now now later on, uh, in Pentecost 33 CE, after Jesus' death, and and then his resurrection, uh, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them, Peter, uh, they all went outside and everybody's like, well, you're crazy. You're speaking these different languages. And Peter begins to preach the gospel and the declaration of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He's pointing to that rock that Jesus is building his church on. And on that day, 3,000 people were saved. I think this is an absolutely profound demonstration of Jesus' power and intentionality. He saw Peter, or he saw Simon, and knew who he was, and knew what he was going to do, and how he was going to be used in the kingdom. And so he changes his name, and then later on uses that changed name in a play of words to show that this is going to be part of Peter's purpose within his life. It's an incredible show of the deity of Jesus, his connection of the Holy Spirit. But within our passage this morning, it doesn't stop there. Continue on in verse 32. The next day, uh, Jesus decides to lead for Galilee, found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And so again, just showing their incredible faith in this moment. Like, like all the miracles haven't really happened yet. You just have John the baptizer saying, see, there is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. And they're choosing to follow him as the promised Messiah. But as they're saying this, Nathanael responds by saying, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asks. Come and see, Philip answers. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in which there is no deceit. And so again, Jesus hasn't had this interaction with Nathaniel. doesn't really know who he is as far as Nathaniel is concerned. And so Nathaniel asks in verse 48, well, how do you know me? Jesus responds by saying, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. 
Verse 49, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this. And so another example of of Jesus both seeing and knowing who people are. To to know Nathanael was sitting underneath a a fig tree. To know that that here's an Israelite in which there is no deceit. And it's all part of his choosing and then calling out of the disciples. I see you. I know you. Follow me. I I just think for them, the, the thrill or that confirmation or the love shown to have Jesus walked up to them and say, I want you to follow me. I see you. What strength or confidence that would give them as they face persecution in their life to come, as they face the challenges or even the calling that Jesus has given to them. But you realize we have that same blessing today. That same sense of calling today. Matthew 11, verse 27 Uh, Jesus says, all things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son or knows Jesus uh, except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So again, nobody's going to know the Father. Nobody's going to know God except to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. And so for us to find salvation through Christ, it is a willingly choice for the Son to reveal that to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. John 15 puts it this way. Jesus again says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Ephesians 1 written to the church uh, after Jesus left this earth. Uh, It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. All of these verses are saying the same thing about us who believe as Jesus was saying about Peter and about Nathaniel. I choose you. I want you to follow. It's a personal invitation. It's not just this blanket sent out to say, well, we'll see what we get in. But at rather, at some point, as you were being formed within your mother's womb, he says, I choose you. I want you to follow me, and I want to save you. 
It can be a hard thing for us to, to accept at times. What's so special about me? What's so good about me? What, what good qualities do I have? Why should I be saved? And we can come up with this long list of, of reasons that you know, maybe we shouldn't be forgiven. Or, or, yeah, I'm chosen, but man, I'm still a mess. I have all these faults. I have all these weaknesses. I'm incapable of doing what God has called me to do. And, and we can come up with all of these excuses that are in reality simply lies that Satan has tried to get us to accept so that we deny the fact that God said, I choose you. Now within this passage, we also understand that Jesus had saw them. He knew the character of Nathaniel under the tree, and he knew the character of Peter and what Peter would do, and it's the same thing for us when he chooses us. 1 Corinthians 13, we know as the love chapter, but, but heading back into the uh, verse 11, the backside of it, um, Paul's writing, uh, when I was like a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Uh, and so within this passage, he's kind of talking about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, prophecy, tongues, like all these other things will cease when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. But until that time, we, we see only in reflection as a mirror, as we're being led by the Spirit uh, as best as we can until He comes back and then see Him face to face. And then we're not going to need those gifts anymore because Jesus and the army of heaven are coming to conquer sin uh, and we have this face to face uh, interaction with Him. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Again, we're looking at this, meaning spiritual gifts will end when Jesus comes back because then we'll know fully um, instead of this uh, relationship that we're in now as we're led with the Spirit. But here are the five verses uh, at the end that we're focusing on uh, this morning. It says, Now I know in part, then I will know fully as I am fully known. As you are fully known by God. Every part of you. In your innermost being. The choices that we make. Even the thoughts that we have. Fully known by God. And then fully chosen in His wisdom, His mercy, His grace, and His love. To choose you. To know what your weaknesses are. And then for him to say, yeah, I can work with that. Because that's really what he's doing. And as we come into this full submission to him as our Lord, uh, our response is truly saying, Lord, do your work in me. He's not looking for people who are already perfect because it's impossible to be perfect in the way that God is perfect. And if we think we've got it all together, if we think that we've already arrived, then there's really not room for Him to work. 
And so when He chooses us, He knows our imperfections. He knows our weaknesses and says, I choose you. I love you. And in my wisdom, I'm going to work with you. And the things that I'm going to do, you can't even imagine. Corinthians says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can fully conceive the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And He chooses us to be a part of His body on this earth. Again, it's a hard thing for us to accept, especially if we consider ourselves uh, unworthy or unfaithful. But also remember Peter. Here's Jesus who sees Simon. Simon, son of John. I'm going to call you Peter from now on. Later on says, Peter, you're acknowledging me as Messiah. And upon that acknowledgement, I'm going to build my church. And this play on words between your name and rock, it's intentional. Because you're going to preach someday and 3,000 people are going to come to salvation. Peter, you're going to betray me three times. Lord, I'll never do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to die before that happens. It's going to happen three times before a rooster crows. And Jesus is arrested. And Peter follows and denies him and denies him and denies him. And a rooster crows and Peter runs away in shame. But God still chose him. God still chose to use him to work in Him. And He does the same thing for us. God has chosen you to follow Him. Because He wants to work in your life. And for it to be anchored in something so much more than this world can even offer. And our enemy wants to throw lies at us and say, well, we're not worthy to be chosen. We're not strong enough. And God says, that doesn't matter because it's my work in you, not your own abilities. And even in the example of Peter, who betrayed him three times, and there's times where we betray Jesus as our Lord with the choices that we make. But, but here, Peter does it three times. Jesus rises from the dead. The first interaction that Peter has with Jesus is on a beach where Peter jumps out of the boat, runs up to Jesus. Uh, and in John 21, verse 15, uh, it says, when they'd eaten breakfast, John asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replies, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. Second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He then asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You notice the correlation here? Peter denied Jesus three times. And now here three times Jesus is saying, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I, I think this interaction is profound. Again, remember, Jesus knew the character of Peter as he knows our character. Jesus called Peter as he has called us to follow and to minister. And here's this opportunity where, where Peter had betrayed Jesus. Here's this where they're sitting down to breakfast and Jesus is not sitting there saying, 
Remember when I told you that you were going to deny me? Yeah, I told you so. He just says, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. And then you notice what Jesus says then? It's not, hey, all right, you learned your lesson, don't ever do this again. Instead, he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my flock, shepherd my flock. He's pointing Peter back to the purpose that he had called him to. The very reason that he had chosen Peter in the first place. He's not trying to point down uh, or, or bring Peter down or have him accept this failure as part of his identity, but instead he's reminding Peter of the identity that was given to him. You're going to be a rock. You're going to lead people to salvation. Feed my sheep. Feed the flock. Shepherd the flock. This is your purpose. Just get back to it. And it's the same thing for us. Jesus knew Peter, knew his character, knew his flaws, still called him in wisdom and love, and gave him a mission and a purpose. Does the same thing for us in Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. through 10. You're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. But we are His, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so as God has called you to follow Him, He's also called you to do things in His name. He wants you. He desires relationship with you. And He wants you to work with Him in order to impact uh, eternity. This is the calling that He has given to us. And it's the lies of the enemy that says we're not worthy. We're not capable. In fact, later on, Paul in one of his letters says, um, I'm not, like it's not anything within me that makes us worthy, but rather it's God who has made us worthy through the blood of Christ. It's God who has assigned the value to you through the death of his son and the price that he paid in order for us to live a life as co-laborers with Jesus. Now, this morning, I want to kind of pause here uh, at this point, um, especially as we're looking kind of at the, the Spirit-led Sunday and things like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, you know, when you gather, uh, one of you is going to have a hymn, one of you is going to have a teaching, another one's a prophecy, things like this. And so uh, this morning, before we get into worship, uh, I want to kind of take an opportunity. Um, I presented this message in, in a particular way um, to kind of declare the truth of you're called, you're fully known, and you're still called with a purpose. Um, and, and then I kind of want to turn it over and see if God has spoken to any of you uh, within this passage um, and kind of how the Holy Spirit's um, interacting that, and in that we can share with one another. Uh, and in fact, as I was talking with Angie, my wife, about this the other day, uh, she had something that I thought was like so great. I was like, I think I might plagiarize that uh, and, and put it into the message. Uh, and then I'm like, but what a cool opportunity, though, to also say like, no, God speaks to all of us as we go through Scripture. So I want to invite her up uh, to share what God had kind of spoken to her. 
But also in that to say, if you're here today, as we shared this, uh, if there's something that stood out to you that you feel like God wants you to share with the rest of us, we want to teach each other today as well. So.